From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 176, part 2, where I finish up the rest of the Criterion Collection's Godzilla series. Uh, if you checked out the first episode in this particular one, I mean, I know I've done a lot of Godzilla episodes, but there was a part 1 to this where I just talked about Son of Godzilla with a very special guest. So uh, that was also released on the same day as this episode if you want to check that out. But otherwise, buckle in. Because we are about to watch a shitload of Godzilla films. So I just finished watching Destroy All Monsters. Wow. Uh, They pulled out all the stops for this one. So the year in the movie is 1999, which is, you know, 20 years ago for us, and in this version of Earth, we've achieved world peace. Great job, everyone. Uh, we've also somehow taken all the the world's monsters and uh, and put them all into a place called Monster Island and, and have uh, the ability to keep them there through smoke and magnets, apparently. These are the the ways we're controlling the monsters. And then some alien race called the, uh, the Kelax or something. Something around that line. They take on human form. Uh, and they let the monsters go. And have them start destroying um, Earth. We, we, we don't... They want humans to surrender. It's not said why. Like, do they need our planet... Is there something we have that they need? I don't think that's ever revealed. If it is, I missed it. Um, nerds, if you're out there and uh, and you can let me know what that is that they wanted, I would love to know. Maybe I can look it up on Wikipedia. I'm sure that news is out there somewhere. So this was meant to be the final installment in the... Uh, in the, I'm saying I say it wrong. Let's just say the the Toho Monster uh, movie uh, movies. So this was meant to be the final installment of all of these movies, I guess, from Toho. But then you know they kept on making them pretty quickly after that. I guess it. it it did very well. It's, um, you know, the movie has no less than 11 monsters. They bring back Honda. 
the the director of uh, of old, um, and they return some of the other the core people because they're trying to go back to not basics, but bring Godzilla a bit more back to his roots. Where you know they're destroying the hell out of cities, uh, and they do they destroy the hell like they, they they really go all out in this one and a lot of fun that we haven't seen in a while. Although I was enjoying these smaller stories, it is nice to see the monsters destroy a whole bunch of miniatures again. Uh, even though they're not fighting each other at all, they're just destroying the hell out of cities and nobody can do much about it. Until uh, we're able to overcome and get control of them again. Uh, and then they send our, our friend King uh, Ghidorah? Ghidorah, yeah. And the monsters kill the fuck out of him. Godzilla breaks his neck by stomping on it repeatedly. He's bleeding out of his mouth. I do believe this is the first time we see blood, actual blood, come out of one of these monsters. So that's that's new for this franchise. I don't know how uh, Minizilla, Manzilla, whatever he's called, Godzilla's, quote, son, is still a baby when so much time has apparently passed in this franchise. But sure, okay. I mean, that said, you know, Godzilla's meant to be, you know, thousands or whatever years old. So maybe it takes a while for these things to grow up. I can buy that. I like that at the end, they uh, it said that they know who their enemies are, so they let, they let them go. And they all return back to Monster Island on their own. They like being held captive by the humans. Uh, and they're there to live out their days in, in peace, or, or be ready to fight for the Earth whenever they're needed. I guess that's all nice. Uh, how did I feel about this one? I liked it. It was fun. It was nice to see pretty much every single monster we've seen over this franchise uh, come back and play. Uh, it's nice to see them actually kill one of the other monsters as opposed to them just fly away. So I guess uh, King Ghidorah is out of this this series for now. That makes sense. We need a, we need a new villain at some point. Uh, that was Siri jumping in there, in case you heard. So I like this one. It was fun. It wasn't one of my favorites, but uh, I enjoyed the spectacle of it after a bunch of smaller stories. So next up is All Monsters Attack. So I just finished All Monsters Attack. What a trip that one is. Uh, really short, too. I mean, so what's happened now is that uh, Toho had thought that Destroy All Monsters was going to be kind of the swan song for a while, and then they were going to dive into, like, co-productions, licensing Godzilla out and doing that sort of stuff. But uh, when that didn't pan out, they they returned uh, to doing Godzilla movies, but kind of specifically targeted toward kids because there was a competing company uh, that had done really well with, I guess, a giant turtle movie at the time. So we get this super short. I think the thing is like maybe 70 70 minutes, barely over an hour long. Uh, 
the opening credit song is kind of amazing and terrible all at the same time. I really dug it, and I just like the sequence with Godzilla fighting and smashy smashing. That was so much fun. It was really weird and equally refreshing to see these real scenes from Japan because we're so used to seeing sets and miniatures in this series. Um, but then, and I didn't realize how meta this film was going to be. Um, so for the first time in, in this series, we have a movie where the films of Toho exist within this film. So Godzilla is a character in movies that this kid has seen. And, uh, and is not part of the real world, part of the real Japan. And so we get to go to Monster Island through this kid's imagination, this this latchkey kid from the 60s era Japan who is, uh, you know, alone a lot of the times. And so he imagines himself going to Monster Island and becoming friends with Minizilla, Minzilla, whatever you want to call him, uh, Godzilla's quote-unquote son, uh, and they have a lot in common, you know. He gets picked on by people that are bigger than him. There's bullies in this little kid's lives. Uh, and yeah, it's really smart. It doesn't pander or condescend to kids. Like, it's for kids and completely, but it's a really smart movie. And it's no surprise that it's done by Honda, too, who did the original film. Like, he found a really smart story here and didn't just make, like, a big, dumb, giant rubber monster suit movie. Uh, although I will say, you know, I had a hard time not kind of nodding off throughout it because they're reusing, I know, it felt like most of the fight scenes from Ibora and also from Son of Godzilla. There's a ton of stuff from Son of Godzilla that's been reused here. Uh, and they have a lot of license to do that sort of thing since this all takes place inside the kid's brain and you know he's seen those movies so it kind of works out in their favor they were able to do this you know super low budget monster movie in that way i mean minizilla can even talk in this this uh, movie and he's way smaller than he was in the last one uh because he's the same size as the kid so then when we see him up with godzilla means godzilla is really only adult sized um, yeah, I love the bit when uh, he surprises, he says, aren't you and Godzilla together all the time? And Minizilla's like, no, man, he, he gets ticked off with me and he makes me fight my own battles now. Uh, I really like that at all. The message at the very end is a little outdated where he, uh, you know, he earns the respect from his fellow bullies by beating them up. Uh, and then does the thing that they, they were trying to goad him into doing earlier in the movie. And this poor innocent man who's working on a sign gets covered in paint. Uh, for no reason. That sucks for that guy. I really dug this. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm super excited to see if the rest of all of these are all going to be like super kitty. Um, but I thought this one worked really well because of the juxtapositions and because of the menace of it. Uh, I'm, I hope I, they're not all like that. I don't, I definitely don't need another movie like that. Uh, unless it's well done and we'll see. Cause the next one up is Godzilla versus Hedora. So stick around for that. Mm-hmm. 
I just finished Godzilla vs. Hedorah. I loved this movie. I was kind of shocked to read that it was considered one of the 50 worst films of all time. And apparently the director was never given another feature film to direct again. But I don't know. Maybe this thing just caught me at the right time and the right moment. Uh, I'm also developing a monster movie with my son that has a lot of environmental uh, things to it. And so this one was really inspiring for me and gave me a lot of ideas. I mean, this is kind of the closest to the original in a weird way. We get this monster that apparently comes from out of space, but really mutates because of human beings' uh, pollution, right? This is late 1960s, early 1970s Japan, and apparently it was uh, not the cleanest place in the world because they were uh, trying to keep up with industry and really revolutionize uh, the way they manufactured products, and as a result, the environment suffered because of it. And so this is like the flower child film that's coming out to shame them, kind of how the original... Godzilla in the 50s is talking about nuclear fallout and war. So I love that it's really of its time and that they've also kind of embraced the origins of this series and how it's about mankind screwing up and creating these monsters out of our own bad choices uh, in regards to the environment. So I thought that was great. I love that it feeds on stuff, keeps growing. You know, it's it's kind of a perfect metaphor for COVID too. And just how, you know, the the worse choices we make, the more this thing grows. And so that kind of hit home for me as well. Um, man, it started off with this trippy as shit James Bond-esque opening credit song uh, that is super ridiculously on the nose, and it returns to that throughout. So I will say, the film hits the environmental thing pretty ridiculously hard. Uh, it's good because it's aimed towards kids, and I'm sure it was educational for them at the time. But, you know, that's what keeps this film from being, like, a perfect Godzilla movie for me. Because there's a lot of great stuff going on. It's a unique monster, the likes of which we've never seen before. The way uh, it and Godzilla fight together is probably the best fights I've seen in the series because it's not just two giant rubber suits going after each other. Like, the fights are organic, and Godzilla and and Hedorah just, like, give as good as they take. Godzilla gets his ass kicked. You know, he blinds Godzilla. Uh, looks like he does at one point, And then does this, like, diarrhea sludge all over him as Godzilla's just, like, lying there and just trying to get free and shooting his heat breath stuff which is really really great um you know Godzilla setting the pollution on fire in that kid's mind was such a great visual I loved how Hedora sucked up smoky pollution as its food apparently uh Hedora translates in Japanese to polluted mud uh that's each that suit that they're wearing is crazy uh I get, apparently I wore it wore it weighed two hundred and fifty pounds, so you can imagine how difficult that thing might have been to to move around in. Uh, the thing that kind of killed me was this thing had no rules to it. All of a sudden, 
Hidora could fly and shoot lasers out of its eyes. It could really just do whatever it needed to do. It could fly over things and just turn them to skeletons within moments because of its pollution. Although the one time it flies over our hero's house and it kills the fish and the plants, but the dad and mom are okay inside the house, that doesn't make a lick of goddamn sense. But sure, I'll, uh, I'll let that go. Godzilla is just a pure savior in this one. He just shows up kind of randomly. No one calls for him. He just knows shit is going down. And uh, and I like that. It's interesting. The movie started off with, you see these action figures. You see the, the three-headed uh, monster as well as Godzilla as action figures. The kids playing with at the beginning. So it almost feels like it's similar to the last movie where uh, Godzilla is a character inside this world as opposed to actually existing uh, but it's both. It's like they've memor- memorialized these creatures and toys, which you would do. Uh, that makes sense to me. That tracks. Godzilla learning to fly is a, is a bit of a giant stretch, and I guess that was polarizing to a lot of fans, understandably so. I'm sure he doesn't fly in any of the other movies because that would just be baller out ridiculous. I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm shocked that it's considered uh, one of the worst films. But uh, I thought it really, really... I mean, maybe it hits it on the head too much. But um, I don't know. There's a lot of great ideas and stuff going on inside this movie that I thought made it one of the highlights for me in this series so far. I really, really liked it. All right. Next up is Godzilla. Versus Gagan. Did I say that right? I don't know. Oh, we get John Fukuda back. That's nice. I'm excited about that. Uh, yeah, so uh, stay tuned for that. I have no idea what Gagan is. Gigan? Gigan? I don't know. I'm sorry. Yell at me, nerds. I'm saying it wrong. So I just finished Godzilla vs. Gigan. Gigan? Uh, I'm not sure how to say it. Uh, don't really care. Wow. That was shitty of me to say. Yeah, I didn't love this one. I'm not going to lie. I don't know what it was about it. It wasn't less cheesy than other ones of past. It just... I don't know, man. I mean, here's the thing. We've got... So this is just an excuse to have, like, uh, a... a of monster double team fight. Uh, we, get, we get King Ghidorah back, which is fun. Uh, the new monster, Gigan, Gigan, whatever it is, Gigan, is just this bonkers-looking machine bird dinosaur thing. I don't know what the hell he is. Uh, I'm going to get Godzilla's partner's name wrong. Angiosaurus, the little... Ankylosaurus-like looking dude. I think I've always seen him on Monster Island hanging out. So it's nice to see him get some action this time around. Either way, this film is literally just an excuse to get these four to fight together and to see some tag teams. But the plot is ridiculous. We have uh, cockroaches from space that are disguised as humanoid-type creatures uh, invading Earth. Uh, 
with the ruse that they're setting up a place called Children's World, which they're going to use to destroy Monster World, which will then give them the ability to control the entire world, I guess, because uh, they want our planet because they've destroyed our own. So we're meant to believe that, and then these ones bring, uh, these these alien-type creatures are the ones that use mind control. Again, we have people from space using mind control to control uh, creatures. And and King uh, Ghidorah as well, that, that creature sucks. It's really easy for him to be mind-controlled, apparently. It's not the first time it's happened in this series. So they steal that idea and use it again. Not the best idea to begin with. Uh, even worse when you re-steal it. So there's that. So yeah, we're meant to believe that these creatures can come all the way to Earth, disguise themselves as humanoids, uh, find a way to manipulate two space monsters into fighting our monsters, but these people can't get their shit together to clean up their planet. So they have to take ours. Okay, I guess. Again, this is just an excuse to see these battles. And it takes a while to get into the first one, and then it just goes on and on and on, and I was kind of bored by the end of it, really. And then it just stops, really, just so we can go back to the shitty B story we've got going on. Uh, God, there's some bonkers stuff in this. Godzilla and his buddies can talk through speech bubbles? What the? I thought I saw everything I've seen when the last one Godzilla could fly, but that... Jesus Christ. Uh, not my favorite inclusion into this saga, that concept. Uh, not great. Not cute, like when, uh... When uh, the mini Godzilla talks to his, uh, his quote-unquote dad. I'm, I'm still behind that stuff. So I was kind of shocked by uh, how, how gory and bloody some of the, the fighting was. I mean, Gigan himself has this jigsaw-like um, thing on his chest that, that looks like it could cut the hell out of you. They're, they're spitting up blood. They're bleeding. I don't think we've ever seen them before. The way Godzilla's stomping on King Ghidorah's throat is bonkers. I love the move when he bends his necks backwards, and then his sidekick uses his spikes to fly into him repeatedly. I love that idea. I don't know how this creature was able to fly backwards like that. I guess you could argue he's jumping, but that was a bit of a stretch for me. So this one is definitely one of the lower entry points in the series for me. Not my favorite. Uh, I think it's just the tonally is all over the place. I think it feels like it's meant for kids more than anything. Although I can't imagine not boring the hell out of them. The, the monster team-ups are fun and interesting. But that's all this movie is trying to do is just get to those. And then it just stops abruptly so that we can bring these characters back again. Yeah, so not my favorite one by any means. And uh, and coming up next, we have got Godzilla vs. Megalon. Be right back. So I just finished Godzilla vs. Megalon. Uh... 
Whatever I thought the low point of this series was before now, I was wrong. It's this. It's 100% this. This movie is all sorts of wrong. This isn't even a Godzilla movie. This is really a, a Jet Jaguar movie who is kind of uh, a poor man's Ultraman. Uh, I think it's Ultraman, right? If I'm getting my, my 70s action toy figures correct? Wow. So apparently, a little bit of nerdy history. Japan's film industry, I guess at this point in the early 70s, is not doing very well. And so this film has a minuscule budget. And so the director is forced to, you know, cut corners all around as as well as the technical crew. And, And they're reusing shots a lot to the point where in the final battle, the lighting is so badly inconsistent it's it's kind of a, a joke uh so this is kind of meant to be a, a almost a hail mary totally 100 percent kids movie uh jesus shit okay so what's going on here we got more nuclear testing happening uh which i think was happening in japan at that point they were doing it off-site but uh and it it causes this disaster that awakens uh, this creature called Megalon from uh, what Seatopia, I believe it's called. Uh, this creature that is probably the worst monster we've seen in this. It's just like somebody farted out a bunch of ideas and put it all into one giant beast. It's terrible. He's got like drill hands. He can sh- spit out these little atomic bomb type things, not atomic bombs, but you know, bombs. He can spit out bombs and and shoot like laser beams out of his forehead thing that he's got. Uh yeah. And at some point these uh these Cetopia people can um I mean they've sent him as punishment for our nuclear testing. Uh, and and somehow they're also able to, to make a request into space to ask for Gigan to be sent here as well. Uh, again, just so we can have a team-up of what will eventually be Godzilla and Jet Jaguar versus these two. So what is Jet Jaguar? He is a robot that uh, at one point can... Apparently has been programmed uh, to uh, to be able to protect himself and so therefore take over. So we have this these these toy people, these inventors or whatever the hell they are, some kind of inventor. They're they're there just to be able to explain to us why this stuff that's happening isn't as ridiculous and as stupid as we think it is. That's literally the only function in this movie is to explain shit to us that we can't comprehend or accept uh that's their function like he just keeps on explaining to us like well i built it into himself to control himself for survival uh you know he can apparently he can double himself in size why can't he just make himself invulnerable to being hit like why can't he just program himself to do anything then at that point Especially the fact that he's able to double himself in size and, and change his molecular structure. 
Jesus Christ. Uh, so Godzilla shows up with about 17 minutes to spare to to come in for this this fight. Uh, Jesus. And he he can fly again. I guess it's just a flying kick, but he's basically flying. Uh, I mean, the fights are fun. That's what these movies are here for. That's all this is here for. He's just setting us up with this weird fight between these four creatures, none of which have any point in being in this movie, uh, especially Godzilla. This is not a Godzilla movie. It, it barely counts. So, uh, what else to say about this movie? I don't have a ton. I'm just, I, I'm just gonna keep on shitting on it, which I don't want to do. It's not fun for me. Uh, I mean, watch it if you just want to see Godzilla series at its lowest point. But man, oh man, you could easily skip this one and you're not missing shit. So the next two and final films in the uh, the Showa era of Godzilla films that we're going through uh, have the character Mechagodzilla, who I'm really excited to meet. I don't know much about that guy. So uh, stay tuned, because we're coming right back with uh, with the first of those two movies, which is Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Alright, so I just finished Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. And I guess let's just accept the fact that from here on out, probably the alien monster is a is a subplot in these things, if not the plot. So here we get another group of uh, Japanese-like aliens from space. These ones are Planet of the Apes looking like creatures who have somehow disguised themselves, but when they get hurt... Their disguise wears off somehow. Uh, yeah, so there's that. Man, these things have come a long way <laughs> since the first one. Since that beautiful 1954 film that was grounded and poetic and wonderful. They have really just done something else. But, uh, I mean, there's some there's value in it. It's fun for sure. But, wow, when I just think about where these things started, it it's kind of bonkers. Uh, anyway. Let's stick with what this is, which is a vast improvement upon the last film, which was, let's be honest, a bit of a shit show. So, yeah, uh, it definitely feels more grounded. Uh, I like how it opened. It was very, very dynamic. I like that little tracking shot on the, uh, I'm going to get his name wrong. It's that little, like, Ankylosaurus type guy with the spikes on his back. All the explosions over, all that kind of fun stuff. So I love the um, the uh, the trick at the beginning, which is basically the misdirect that Godzilla is is attacking Tokyo again, and you know beats the hell out of his former friend. Although I did notice this diamond thing on his arm that I'm like, well, that's different and weird. That does not look like a Godzilla type thing. And when he breathed. Uh, like orange flame, it was like that's not Godzilla's blue flame. Like that was a red flag. Uh, that said, these movies are not the most consistent with the the monster's abilities and whatnot. So uh, it wouldn't have shocked me if they suddenly magically changed Godzilla's blue flame. Oh, that would have been shitty. 
So I liked uh, the misdirect that this was uh, this Mecha Godzilla thing in a Godzilla suit. I don't know where the hell they got this thing or made this thing, but they've got it, this identical suit. Or what the point of doing that at all, just to lure Godzilla out and make people think for a few moments that Godzilla was attacking. I guess I don't understand what the point of that was as a tactic from the bad guys, other than to misdirect the audience for fun. It doesn't seem to be a necessary ploy since they were intending to lure Godzilla out anyway. Uh, anyway, that's what happens. So, I like that this takes place on the island of uh, Okinawa. Uh, I I know of this place because of the Blue Zones. It's one of the oldest living communities. They're super healthy and they follow a plant-based diet. So, I'm very familiar with the Okinawians. Uh, look it up if you haven't. It's a very fascinating culture of people who are very healthy and do good things with their bodies. Having been a big fan of Ready Player One, I knew about Mechagodzilla. I'd, I'd heard of him in pop culture. So I, I, I would hoped he would be coming up at some point in this era of, of Godzilla films. So I'm glad that that one uh, has landed in this pile the the direct replications or homages to Planet of the Apes, which hasn't come out yet or is about to come out. This is 1975. What year was the original Planet of the Apes? Let me look that up really quick. 1968. Okay, yeah. So this is definitely uh, paying homage to that, if not stealing outright. First of all, they use the name Caesar. Uh, for the name of this king, monster thing that they're fighting. But clearly these creatures, these aliens, are inspired by the Planet of the Apes. Uh, anyway, it's it's bonkers and bizarre. I don't get it. But the, uh, the fights are good. The fights are solid. It's nice to see him fighting a giant robot. That's different and new. And, of course, that's where they're, they're headed in this kind of a thing. Uh... The whole stuff with this King Caesar, I don't get it. I mean, it's just this bonkers, bizarre thing. I don't know why the hell people in this movies, these movies have to sing so much. They, they sing to bring Caesar back by using this little statue doll type thing. Um, somehow, Godzilla gets stabbed and repairs himself by just radiating whatever he radiates. And then suddenly he's magnetic. I don't know... The logic behind that, maybe I missed something. So, yeah, I mean, this film is a step above the last one, but it's still in that realm of, like, bonkers Godzilla movies and stories. Uh, so there. I uh, I dug it, didn't love it. Uh, and now I head into the final film of the Showa area Godzilla series, Terror. Of Mechagodzilla. So here we are with the final film in the series. Picks up exactly where it left off, pretty much. They give you a big old recap of the previous film, which I didn't need because I had literally just watched it. Uh, so what do we have? The aliens are still alive and kicking, and they want revenge, obviously. Uh, and then we get uh, 
crazy mad scientist Mufune, who was thought dead, now uh, is controlling this dinosaur, Titanosaurus, or some such creature. He's built a control for the thing somehow. This thing's just been hanging out, but it's around. Uh, he can control it. Anyway, what I really liked about this movie, and I thought was a fascinating and unique part of this uh, of this film, was the the story of the daughter of the mad scientist, who, uh, I mean, spoilers, obviously. But essentially, uh, you know, the fate of everything comes down to her. They they turn to and in, in her her into a kind of a cyborg type thing at some point. Um, but then later they implant um, Mechagodzilla's uh, control inside of her, which ties her fate to the creature, and she ends up killing herself so that uh, Mechagodzilla can be destroyed. Uh, yeah. So, Megan got, you know, the aliens who, they get a name in this film. Maybe it was in the last film, but I missed it. The Spaceman from the Third Planet, apparently, is their name. You know, they still want revenge. You know, their whole plot is to take over the Earth for reasons unknown. Uh, they think they need to defeat Godzilla to do so, and that's why they have Mechagodzilla. It's kind of surprising that Monster Island is not part of these... This final film, not mentioned. We got the Ankylosaurus type creature in the last film, but he was just kind of in and out, and we didn't get any of the other uh, monsters we're used to in terms of, of dealing with this. It's almost like those films don't exist in this timeline because we've got Honda, the original director, back, and it's almost like they just want to make you think that it's just Godzilla around and these other creatures kind of popping up. Uh, which is fine. I don't mind uh, the clean the cleanness of that. It's nice to have Honda back for the last film to kind of bring it full circle. Although it's too bad it doesn't really ground it as much as it possibly could have. I like that that it ties the the, the series up from the last film where the aliens are trying to escape and Godzilla ends up destroying them. You know, it feels like we get some kind of closure. He he walks back into the ocean, presumably back to where he started from in the very first film. Although that's not the same Godzilla, because that Godzilla did uh, 100% die. One thing I loved about this film is Godzilla got an epic introduction. I mean, he comes into the film pretty late in the game, but he gets this amazing uh, introduction where the lighting kind of shifts, and then it picks, almost like a spotlight comes on him, inside the city and we see his face and he's just like ready for action. We zoom in on him and we dolly around and his music kicks in and he starts fighting this dinosaur thing. It's really great and beautiful and uh, and fitting of this guy who we, we've grown to love over the, the course of these movies. So, yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned it kind of in the last one, but it's just a kind of amazing where these films have started from and then where they ended up in terms of Godzilla coming out of the uh, this need for Japan to kind of deal with the nuclear fallout and, and radiation and all that kind of stuff of the war and, and put it into uh, a face, which is Godzilla. And then suddenly, a couple of films later, Godzilla is now the, the world savior. 
he's uh, he's taking on the mantle of protecting the world, um, and he's essentially the good guy from there on. So it's a fascinating character arc for Godzilla. And then we go on all these dips and twists where it ranges from movies that, you know, really hit and do really, really well. You know, the campiest film that worked for me was Son of Godzilla, if you recall. I really liked that movie, even though it, it's campy as hell. Uh, and then we, we, we have other movies that get meta, that deal with Godzilla through the mind of a child. And then we get just stuff that's just goddamn bonkers, like Gigan. Uh... Yeah. Really, really glad I watched these films. I definitely now want to, to head in and uh, and check out the more recent Godzilla films and get back into those. I'm curious uh, what all this knowledge will do in terms of those viewing experiences, so I'm excited for that. I'll definitely be back on the podcast at some point doing Shin Godzilla, because uh, I have a long list of people who want to do that episode, and so we will, we will get around to that. But for the time being, this is a really beautiful way to uh, to explore these films. And again, I want to give one giant big shout out to Unobstructed View, the uh, the can- the Criterion counterpart inside Canada that distributes their films and often has sales and deals on. You can go to unobstructedview.com. And uh, and they're the ones that gave me this set. It was a very kind gift when uh, when their CEO and, and founder came over and recorded Godzilla Raids again with me. You can go back and find that episode in the archives. So, yeah, I really appreciate the gift. Uh I wasn't asked to do these additional episodes of Godzilla. I wanted to do them, so uh, so we could say that this is a sponsored episode. These these ones have been from Unobstructed View, but they're great. If you're into collecting, you know, any of those older titles of movies, uh, and there's more than just Criterion on their label. They do Arrow. They do lots of stuff. So check them out because they're one of those few companies that are still keeping the fires burning and keeping physical media alive in this era where everything's just going to streaming. So if you're into that kind of shit, support that company with all you can. They're really, really great. And if you're used to doing um, Criterion flash sales and that kind of stuff through uh, the Criterion website and through Barnes & Noble, uh, Unobstructed View tends to do them at the exact same time with the same discount. And free shipping inside Canada, which I know, I don't know if you were ever doing those sales, but whenever you do them out of the States, if you're a Canadian, you got uh, killed on the exchange rate, but also on the duty uh, when it came over across the border to the point where I don't even know if you got much of a deal, <laughs> to be honest. But now it's definitely, it's, it's great. So uh, I would uh, take advantage of that. All of the films in this series, I believe, are on the Criterion Channel streaming service. So uh, even though I was just touting physical media, you can watch them all through there. I'm excited to dive into uh, the supplements on this series. I won't talk about that here. I'm going to wrap it up. But apparently there's a great interview with Alex Cox talking about his influence or, or how these films influenced him rather. 
So yeah, thanks for sticking with me for all these Godzilla films. Uh, it's a lot. So I hope that you uh, you love these nerdy things as much as I do. And also a shout out to Chris at my favorite coffee shop in Toronto, The Sidekick, who did the Son of Godzilla episode with me and uh, and is just one of the biggest fans of Godzilla that I know. So I was excited to, to discover that with her. And a shout-out to everyone who's been part of my other episodes uh, in this series. My son was there, uh, and a bunch of amazing guys did the original Godzilla with me as well. You can go back and check out that episode. So thanks for joining me for the Godzilla Showa Era Part 2. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at LonJeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves.